Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. I can recall sitting in a class in veterinary school years ago where I was learning about the embryology of canines, of dogs. And I remember being fascinated even at that point of watching and reading about the development of a puppy in the uterus of a female dog and here and learning about how the cells knew where to go and they came together to form the, form the spinal column. I remember thinking about how amazing creation was that God was the creator. And if this was that fascinating, and it takes about 61 days for a full gestation for a, a puppy, then how much more fascinating is it to understand and to recognize the creator and his hand in human development, in human embryology? So I wanted to talk about this topic today along the lines of abortion and what's going on in our country currently. We need to know why we believe what we believe, not only biblically, but we need to understand biologically what's going on, the, the, what God has biologically created, so that we understand the, the awe and the wonder of what God has done in creation, and that begins with making man in his own image, and what that looks like as development is going on. So... For those of you that may not know what's going on, most people do know what's going on, but last week there was a leak from the Supreme Court, and it was a draft from the decision that's going to be handed down pretty soon on a current case involving abortion related to the state of Mississippi. And this potential court case could be the decider of overturning Roe versus Wade, and there's a lot of people on different sides that are very happy about this. They're rejoicing that this could happen, and then there's people that are very upset that this could happen, When I, and when I say very upset, that is an understatement. There's a lot of rhetoric and, and things that are being said. Either way, there are people that feel strongly about this um, on both sides politically, so to speak. You know, I've heard a lot of these different reactions, and I'm sure you all have as well. And I've also been pondering on some of the arguments that have been made about abortion, such as the clump of cells argument, which that's been debunked years ago, to people claiming, I've heard young people claiming that a baby is a parasite, which I'll touch on just in a little bit. I think it's fair and uh, appropriate as a veterinarian that, that I can talk about that and speak on that, having dealt with a bunch of parasites over the years in former patients that I treated, to, to people calling for the protection of women's reproductive health, which seems like veiled verbiage to me, to be honest, quite honest with you. We should just call this what it is. Um, when you're talking about women's reproductive health, we need to acknowledge that there's a life that dies 100% of the time in this. To, you know, people pivoting back to now, all of a sudden we know what a woman is and we know that a woman has a uterus and that they can have children, that we can have children. I have two children. So I am a woman and I have a uterus and I've been able to have two children. So now all of a sudden we 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 magically know what, who, what women are and we can identify them and we want to protect their rights. To now also people even admitting that they know, yes, that's a baby in the womb and I want to kill that baby. I don't care. Uh, that's an inconvenience. It's my body. It's my choice, which again, it's not your body that's being dismembered. But also too, the womb is supposed to be the safest place for a child. And it has now become a death camp for millions over the years. So I thought about one angle I wanted to approach this today. And that would be encouraging, that would really help us to understand the value of human life 
I debated on different topics such as, you know, talking about the right versus left leaning opinions or, you know, you could easily listen to political commentary on that. And it really should not be surprising if you hold a more um, Christian value system as far as it's concerned, a biblical understanding of why abortion is viewed as murder, then it's not going to be surprising to you when you hear people that devalue life, ignoring the rights of the vulnerable. Uh, I could talk about the many prophetic words from this year that even go back as early as the early 2000s. I looked up some of those and there's been several prophetic words that have been released about the Supreme Court and visions that the the people have shared and uh, judgments that people have passed down. Even uh, some one particular prophet saying that God said that we are the Supreme Court, that the church is the Supreme Court to um, also saying that the states that decide to uh, make their own laws or side with abortion, that, that God's hand and his grace is going to come off of those states. Uh, there's been some interesting things, and, it, and quite frankly, um, listening to some of those and reading some of those prophetic words was so frustrating because it seemed to point to that person and to the, the revelation they had gotten from God and really highlighting how special they were rather than back to Christ and to the gospel, which the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to sin. And this is sin. Murder is sin. We we call this for what it is, and it's sin. So this is how we address sin is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, shining a light in the darkness. There's been various movements in the past that are related to prophets and apostles and such that have done these movements where they'll stand outside the Supreme Court with red tape on their mouth that says life over it, or they stand outside Planned Parenthoods and things. And listen, I'm not opposed to going outside abortion clinics and ministering to women and helping and wanting to help them. There should be people doing that. The things that have been going on with that, though, is people silently uh, just standing outside the Supreme Court, for example, and just praying, but they're not they're not proclaiming the gospel. They're not proclaiming the solution to this sin sickness that's been going on. So we could talk about that. And that, again, goes back to some of these movements uh, dip into dominion theology that we take back some of these areas. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is by standing with a piece of red tape over your mouth and not saying anything when we should be proclaiming the gospel, we're not told to be silent. Rather than talk about all those things, I know I mentioned them, but rather than focus and talk about all those things, I'm going to be talking about the beauty of God's creation when looking at human development and to inform us of what we may not know is going on in field development. It is amazing and miraculous to, when you look and think about human development, how we begin from a cell, a fertilized, how we begin from a fertilized cell to that cell knows exactly where to go. It's dividing along the way. It, not only that, there are things in a cellular, at a cellular level that are so complex and intricate going on with mitosis going on and all the intricate structures of the cells that are that are working and forming things as they go and the the signals that are going on that are sent between cells to communicate and all the things that God created we should be in awe of these things and i think sometimes we forget that and yes there there is such wickedness going on and it can be so daunting to think about and so depressing sometimes and you think how evil can someone be to do such things to 
to kill a, an unborn child, but right before birth, to consider even killing a child a month after birth, which is not abortion, that's infanticide. The things that are going on in our world, they can be heavy for us to deal with, and they're grieving. At the same time, we need to remember the beauty in God, the beauty of God's creation. And what he's done, and it's not by chance, by the way. This is a divine. This is a divine design that is that is in the making of creation, and let, and specifically in human development. The fact that cells receive signals and know where to go, in specializing to make organs, that should blow your mind. I mean, that in itself should blow your mind. And I, and I'm really just touching the surface. I'm not going to get into great detail about about all of the intricacies of that. But we are going to look at human development today. And perhaps you are a pregnant mother. And yes, you are a mother. If you don't have children yet that are outside your body, but you are pregnant, then guess what? You have a child already, and you are a mother the location of that that fetus or that child motherhood is not determined based on geographic location of the child any more than geographic location determines that human being within you being made in the image of god the geographic location the age does not determine the value of that life the size doesn't determine the value of life God has determined the value of that life by the create by creating that life himself. So we need to remember that. And so I'm hoping that this today will be an encouragement to you that it will really get you thinking and solidify even more of understanding why this is so important. Those of us who are pro-life, we understand that this is serious. This is the taking of a human life and shedding innocent blood. This is abhorrent to God. We want to focus on the Lord and focus on the the beauty of him being the creator and understand the value of human life regardless of size, age, geographic location. God has knit each and every one of us together in our mother's womb and we have been made in his image. And yes, you must be a female and have a uterus in order to carry a baby through potentially 40 weeks of gestation. Contrary to some belief, a breath does not confer homo sapien status. God has conferred that when an ovum is fertilized by a sperm. And he has determined the gender based on the DNA he created and designed to form each and every one of us. Because at the moment of conception, by the way, that fertilized egg has all the genetic material that egg needs in order to begin development into that unique human being. And that genetic material is completely unique from the mother's genetic material. It contains half of it. That genetic material is completely different. Along with that, I, I said it a, a little bit ago, I wanted to address the whole issue of the, the parasite argument. And I've I've heard some people, particularly that are in college, in um in undergraduate college, make this statement, and I think that does not sound very intelligent because I don't know if people understand what they're saying, or maybe they're just regurgitating what somebody else has said about this. Because when you look at the definition of a parasite, for example, on the CDC website, it says an organism that lives on or in a host organism and gets its food from or at the expense of its host. The CDC goes on to say that there are three classes of parasites in humans. There's protozoa, 
There's helminths, which, which helminths are worms, such as roundworms, hookworms. Those are two of the big ones that people can get. Um, ectoparasites. Ectoparasites are on the outside of the body. Ecto means outside. So that would be an example of that would be lice or ticks. So the question that I come to when I hear someone say, well, baby's just a parasite. Does a parasite contain half of the genetic material of its host? Because a parasite needs a host in order to thrive. The last time I checked, parasites do not contain half of the genetic material of the host that they are um, abiding in or abiding on. And another definition I could provide too is that an organism that lives in or on an organism of another species and benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. A lot of times what you see is that the parasite is actually a totally different species than the host that it's trying to get nourishment from. And it also wasn't that long ago, by the way, that during World War II, during the, the, the Holocaust, that uh, Jewish people were compared to vermin and not being human. So you hear this type of verbiage going on, this rhetoric again, and it, it, it harkens back to that. And if you can dehumanize someone long enough, then it really takes away the accountability and it takes away the conviction that you're doing anything wrong. If you're dehumanizing unborn babies, then it eases your conscience, so to speak. But what really is going on is sin. It is sin and it is murder. It's the ending of a life. Another thing to consider about parasites too, and then we're going to get off that and we're going to talk, talk more about what's, what really matters here, but parasites do not enter a host and take months to develop into a living being resembling the mother or the father. These are the things that you can think through as you hear an argument that is being presented, I'm giving you just one example to consider because this is not a logical argument. And again, I would, I would say that it's really devaluing human life. I would argue it's a dehumanization and to really kind of argue away or to to not consider what's going on. And what we must remember as believers and understand is that we are witnessing the act of calling evil good and good evil. And we are seeing a flagrant suppression of the truth. And Romans even talks about this near the beginning. It talks about that people can look around and see that that God exists and they are without excuse. The very presence of creation, of seeing even the trees and the the sky and the the every bit of the, of nature and seeing the animals and th- how they're created and the intricacy of their design and then looking at the pinnacle of creation which was creating man and woman and looking at the intricacy and the detail and the the complexity of creation people are without excuse and we can apply that to the atheist but we can also apply that to someone who it agrees with abortion because they're denying what's what is present which is a human life that's what we're seeing going on abortion is murder i know i've I've said that several times there can tend to be like a um, a numbing in in culture to kind of wash that away or sweep it away and say oh it's just it's just a clump of cells or it's it's just it's the woman's decision it's her body it's her choice she can do what she wants no, I actually can't. Even as a Christian, I can't even do with my body what I want to. As a, as a law-abiding citizen, I can't do with my body what I want to do. So that, that rule doesn't even 
float. It doesn't, it doesn't apply to any of us. We can't do whatever we want, but as a Christian, we most certainly know that we're, our bodies are to glorify God. So killing our unborn children is not going to glorify God. And that's not something that we're going to be able to just sweep away and not think about and not have to be accountable for that. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this in our society. And and what can we think about right now in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this sin and this depravity that's going on? What is the thing that we should be focused on most? We should be focused on the Lord ministering the truth of his word, ministering to people that in the midst of the darkness of what they're doing, that there is hope being offered to them, which is repent and believe in Christ and turn from these wicked ways and turn away from this horrible act that is really a violation of someone else's body. Because it's not an organ and it's not a tumor or anything that's being removed. This is a life we can see this in scripture. For example, I know that there are several places, very well-known passages to us that we can go to, to help us to see that this is a human life in the womb. Uh, Psalm 127 verses three through five says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. And Psalm 139 is one of my favorites to read, and I'm sure it's a favorite of a lot of people. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is something that God is most intimately involved in, is in the act of creation and particularly the creation of human beings. The issue of abortion ultimately goes back to sin and to a question of the enemy as old as a garden. Did God really say did God really say that's a human life? Did God really say that, you know, that clump of cells early on in pregnancy in the first couple of weeks, that that's really a human being? Did God really say that a heartbeat, um, that the, bl- that the life is in the blood? Did God really say that? Hmm. I don't know. Did, did he really? Well, the response is yes, he did. And the answer to sin and rebellion against the holy God is repent and believe. Turn from these wicked ways. And walk in the truth. Walk in the light of the truth. The only way that to be to be redeemed and reconciled back to the Father is through faith in Jesus Christ to cleanse from all unrighteousness. He is a merciful God. He forgives those who have shed innocent blood if they will come to him and repent and turn from those wicked ways and realize their rebellion against God and their only way to saving faith and to be cleansed from that unrighteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. So having talked about some of the heavier stuff right now. Let's look at human fetal development and let's marvel at God's creation while thanking him for life. Because again, it can be so easy to get bogged down with what's going on. And listen, we should be concerned. I'm not saying that we just tune out and not get concerned. But for those that may not understand the complexity and the intricacy of human development, let's go on a little journey together and talk about this in a little bit more detail. Let's first begin where life begins, which is at fertilization. Now, I went on a search 
through the interwebs. And I found uh, March for Life. There was a lot of good information on there. I'm going to do a little bit more extensive discussion for, em- for human embryology in the first eight weeks based on some of the information on this website. I'll share the links in this, bl- in this podcast. But I want you to just take a listen to it, and then we'll talk about the general details as week by week as we go. And this may help you when you're discussing with someone that's pro-abortion. Uh, to help them understand this is ultimately for Christians, this is a biblical, theological understanding of the value of human life, the sanctity of life. This also is a scientific fact. This is backed up by science that this, at the moment of conception, this this is a human being, a human embryo in the that goes from the fallopian tube into the uterus that is as a fertilized egg by the sperm and it is a unique human being and so we're going to begin at fertilization we're going to go in a little bit more detail there's no way for me to go into all the proteins and enzymes and what happens on the cellular level that is way too much detail it goes far more descript and far more than what we need for this podcast this is really to help us first be in awe of God's creation and also to help equip us when we're talking to someone and to demonstrate and to show this is not um, this is this is both a theological or biblical issue that we are showing this is what God says about life and also this is a scientific issue that we can back up empirically through scientific data from human embryologists that write human embryology textbooks and it's not wrong to get to appeal to science because this is something that has God's handiwork. It has his um, signature all over it. So life begins at fertilization on March for life. I'll share some of the things on here and I'll share the link. And also there's another link that it takes it to takes you to on March for life called contend projects. We're going to look at something there um, that helps us in the first eight weeks of embryology to understand the gold standard for human embryology. So the question of when life begins is not a philosophical question. According to March for life, this is settled science. And at the moment of fertilization, a new unique individual is created. There's a quote on here that says for over 100 years, human embryology has stated that in sexual reproduction, a new whole individual living human being begins to exist at the beginning of the process of fertilization at first contact between the sperm and the oocyst or the egg, which is called and also called an ovum. You may hear the word ovum. That's the same thing. It's referring to the, the female egg. They're both called gametes. If you've heard that, if you have a scientific background, you may have heard that, that the sperm is referred to as a gamete and the egg is referred to as a gamete when they meet up when they fuse together that is uh, the creation of a zygote that sperm no longer exists by itself the egg no longer exists by itself there is unique dna that comes together there's 46 chromosomes for the man 46 chromosomes for the woman human beings have 46 chromosomes half of that 23 is um, given to that zygote and the other half comes from the woman the 23rd chromosome is what determines the xx or xy and that is determined by the sperm so this helps us to understand that at first fertilization, a unique human being is created. Now I want to share something else with you on this website. When you click and you can learn more about this, there is a blog that they did that talks about the contend facts from the contend project. It says when a human being begins to exist is an empirical scientific fact. 
And I'm going to read a little bit of this blog post for you. I already read the, um, the statement that they first made the quote. And it goes on to say, when these two mirror cells make first contact and fuse, immediately specific human proteins and enzymes are produced. These are not sperm or egg protein and enzymes. So these are unique human proteins to this at the, upon fertilization or fusion. And in the result of this is a new single cell human being with his or her own unique new human genome and complete set of DNA, which begins to exist. This is an objective, empirical, and modern scientific fact and is documented in the Carnegie stages of early human embryonic development as Carnegie stage 1A. The One of the main reasons the basic facts of life are so confusing today is because of the court ruling in the Roe versus Wade case. In his majority opinion, Justice Blackman wrote that the beginning of human life could not be determined, saying the, disi- saying the disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology were unable to arrive at any consensus, and we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. Most people do not know that the academic disciplines Blackman referenced have no bearing on the science of human embryology. Human embryology is the only scientific field that specializes in when a human being begins in his or her early development. Yet no human embryologist testified in the Roe versus Wade case. And so because the science has been obscured for so long, today many people still believe that the question is not settled and are making uninformed and erroneous decisions, policies, and laws concerning a human embryo and human fetus. And it goes on to talk about the Contend Projects. And so their aim is to provide education about human embryology and make it simple to understand. Now, when you go to their website on Contend Projects, this is at the beginning of it, just so you know where they're coming from. Contend Projects is a secular, nonpartisan science education nonprofit with the mission to spread accurate information and awareness about the biological science of human embryology and when a human being begins to exist. So they work to make essential scientific facts easily accessible and to educate people in a simple and positive way as a matter of basic education and to empower informed decisions. So this would be a very helpful, there's a little two and a half minute clip on there that talks about fertilization. They mainly deal with the embryological stage, the first eight weeks of development in a, in a, a baby. Let's look at the first trimester. So in the first couple of weeks from zero to two weeks from conception, the egg is released from the ovary. It is fertilized in the fallopian tubes, not in the uterus. It's fertilized in the fallopian tube by the sperm. And what's interesting is when the sperm, uh, the one, the sperm that is able to get through the, the cell membrane of the ovum or the egg immediately there's proteins that are made to where uh, on the surface of the cell, the membrane of that egg to where no other sperm can be able to penetrate and get through. So already there are cellular changes taking place to protect that sperm that has entered that egg and now created a fertilized egg, also known as a zygote. So with the fertilized egg starts to divide and form a ball of cells and the ball of cells dig into the lining of the uterus. So it's, I think it's referred to as the morula as it's moving through the fallopian tube and then becomes a blastocyst. So the blastocyst is what actually attaches to the uterine lining and the uterine lining is being prepped by progesterone, by estrogen in order to make a, um, a healthy um, blood uh, bed, if you will, for the blastocyst to be able to embed itself in and then begin to have implant, which is called implantation 
ovulation and then begin to start the embryonic development. And also when it's becoming that morula, by the way, that's when mitosis is taking place, which mitosis is a simple way of saying it's cellular division. So the cells are replicating, they're dividing, and they're um, increasing in number. The ball of cells begins to form layers in fluid-filled spaces. The earliest part of the afterbirth begins to form. At this point in its growth, the ball of cells is called an embryo. The embryo grows to a length of 0.2 millimeters. So that's in the zero to two weeks from conception. At three to four weeks conception, the embryo changes from a flat disc to a curved C-shaped form. Organs begin forming. At this point, the menstrual period is missed. A tube forms along the embryo's length. This will grow into the brain and spinal cord. The heart starts as a tube, which begins to beat as it grows. Simple structures form on the sides of the head. They will become eyes and ears as time goes on. Limb buds, which look like bumps, start to form. Later, they will become arms and legs. And as we go into five to six weeks from conception, we see about half of the embryo's length is the head due to the rapid growth of the brain. The head starts to form the normal four chambers, and the heartbeat can be seen on ultrasound. The eyes and ears move toward their normal places on the head. Kidneys begin to form. Rays appear in the limbs, which will later form fingers and toes. The umbilical cord joins the embryo and the placenta. The embryo at this point is about 14 millimeters long. The neural tube that becomes the brain and spinal cord closes. Now, what is fascinating to me, and I hope it's fascinating to you, is already at six weeks, which by the way, at 18 days, the heartbeat begins. So that should tell you, and and another amazing thing is we take a, a moment just to pause and think about that. When you think about the heartbeat begins at day 18, this, this human being has, has his or her own circulatory system that is beginning. By the way, that circulatory system is functioning in the opposite as it does the moment that that baby is born because of um, having to breathe in liquid while in, in the womb as opposed to air. And the circulation functions completely differently because you have the uh, the patent ductus arteriosus, you have the foramen ovale that's in the heart that's an open hole that's... Um, functioning in the circulation. And so oxygenated blood and unoxygenated blood is moving differently. And the placenta is key to this. This baby has its own circulation, has his or her own circulatory system. They have their his or her own blood type. If any of you all have been RH negative, I was RH negative myself. And so I had to have injections done while I was pregnant with both of my children because of their, um, the blood type being different and so because I was RH negative, I had to have those in, the injections done to uh, protect myself while being pregnant. What's fascinating also is uh, another article that I found about why the, the female human body does not reject the fetus, the human being growing in the womb. Why does the, does a normal, in a normal pregnancy, why does the woman's human body not reject the fetus? Well, there is an article on Science Daily. And it was back in uh, June 7th of 2012. And this was, the source was the NYU Medical Center. And in this article, you see that the researchers made an important discovery they talk about, about why a mother's immune system does not reject a developing fetus as foreign tissue. So I just want to read these a couple sentences in this of what they found. The researchers discovered that embryo implantation sets off a process that ultimately turns off a key pathway required for the immune system to attack foreign bodies. 
bodies. As a result, immune cells are never recruited to the site of implantation and therefore cannot harm the developing fetus. It talks about the immune system, uh, the uh, T-activator cells and such, but the placenta also plays a role in this. It's just fascinating how this works. God's, again, God's signature is all over this. And the fact that he ordains human life, he has created human life, we need to value human life because he values human life. And so this helps us to understand how intricate this is. The woman's body has been created to bear children. And that is a beautiful thing that we need to celebrate and not have and hold disdain for. And we also need to make it clear that women are the ones that have children, that have uteruses, that were born as women. They were born in the, they were identified in the womb. They were uh, identified in the womb as female for a woman and then as a male, as a male for a man. So we need to acknowledge that. And it takes a male and a female to procreate. There's no getting around this. And this is biblical and this is scientific. That's the glorious part of it is that we can be biblical and still be also scientific. And there should be no disregard from anyone that, that disagrees with that. We're not, I'm not some ignorant person that doesn't know about science. And I still identify as a Christian, as a Bible-believing Christian that believes that abortion is murder and it's wrong, regardless of the situation. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two sins don't make a right when trying to terminate a life. And it's not, also, it's not women's reproductive health when someone is dying. In an abortion, there is death 100% of the time. There is no getting around that. Let's get back on track here because we want to focus on the, the beauty and the majesty of God's creation. But sometimes, you know how it is, you can get off on tangents on this. So let's get back on track. Now, I told you about just a, minute, a few minutes ago about contend projects, and we're going to have to weave in and out a little bit with this to, to get some more understanding. They have some really helpful information on their website. And one of the things I clicked on was human embry- the Human Embryology Lesson 101. They have places where you can download um, free information. You can, also, you can download early stages and key features of human fetal development. And so when you click on that, they show drawings of what takes place at every week at the eight-week embryo. Um, this is Carnegie stage 23. There's 23 stages of Carnegie, which, which I've already mentioned that, but the human embryologist internationally established this. This is the gold standard. And I'll, I'll, I'll refer back to that in just a moment. The eight-week embryo The heart beats approximately 7.4 million times during the embryonic period. More than 90% of the 4,500-plus named structures of the adult body appear during the embryonic period. I mean, this if this stuff doesn't blow your mind and and fascinate you, I don't know what will. But it's pretty amazing to me how God has designed everything. And then the cells know where to go. The cells differentiate and they have their own morphology. The cells have signals in them and they are communicating and they know where to go and to form the spleen, the liver, the kidneys, the bladder, the the genitals, the reproductive organs. They know where to form the heart, the lungs. These cells are differentiating based on signals they're getting and enzymes that are moving and proteins and everything that's all these functions that are happening within the cells. This is amazing. This is God. First of all, there's no way. Again, this goes back to Romans 1. People are without excuse to see this. And it's a suppression of the truth. 
When you see people that are denying things that are obvious and that they're they're made they're, they're ordained by God and they're created by God and you see people that are denying these things and they want to do their own thing, it's because they are suppressing the truth. And God has given them over to, to these things. This is why the gospel is so important to understand. This is why the truth is so important. This is why we can also, in addition to um, appealing to the Bible, we can appeal to science because the science is in our favor. It's in our favor for those of us that are standing on the si- on the lines of being pro-life. I would encourage you to check out this website. I mean, I'm looking at this download right now. It's a free download of the human. It talks about the human embryo. Uh, it says the scientific name for a preborn human being during this first eight weeks of his or her biological development is called a human embryo. And the scientific name for a preborn human being from nine weeks through birth is a human fetus, which fetus is a Latin word that basically means offspring is what it means. So we're describing human offspring. Um, it's not a lizard. It's not. It's not a, a gecko. It's not. Um, it, it's not a barracuda. It's not anything else. What comes? It's a human embryo from the moment of conception. There's nothing else that can come from this except a human being. That human being is merely in another stage. Um, you are the same person that you were as the human embryo. You are just smaller then, but you are the same person. You're the same person that you were at at. At the moment of birth, whether you came out of your mother's, uh, came through uh, the vaginal canal or you came out through C-section, there's nothing magical about coming out through vaginal birth. You're still birthed if you came out through C-section, thank goodness. Um, You're still a human being. So how you took your breath does not uh, determine your, your personhood or your humanity. What determines your humanity is the fact that God created you in his image and it started at conception. And you were merely in a smaller position or a smaller stage of development at that point, but you're the same person. And guess what? You're going to be the same person when you're 75 years old. You're going to have aged. Your cells are going to age, but you're still going to be that same person. You haven't changed into another person. You haven't changed into another animal. You haven't changed into another gender or anything else. No matter how much you want to change other things or change your appearance, you're still going to be the same person you that God created you to be on a biological level and that's science and that's bible on the section of their website called the carnegie stages for the contend projects it states that there is international agreement among human embryologists that human development during the eight-week embryonic period be divided into 23 stages the carnegie stages of human embryonic development the carnegie stages are the most reliable sources for accurate scientific facts of sexually reproduced human beings also known as the gold standard. Now, when you look at this Carnegie chart, it breaks it down. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but I will, again, I will have the links to these so that you can search these sites for yourself in case you want to download some of this information. They have free information as well as information you can purchase for um, educational purposes. But they break it down into 23 stages for the Carnegie stage in the first eight weeks for the embryo. At, at nine weeks, that's what the fetal development begins, according to this website. The Carnegie stages were instituted as scientific fact in 1942 by a secular government organization. So Carnegie stage one represents fertilization and is divided into three substages, A, B, and C, and is the unicellular embryo that contains unique genetic material and is a single cell human being that develops into all the subsequent stages of a human being. The earliest human embryo is represented by Carnegie stage 1A and the zygote is represented by, Car- is represented by Carnegie stage 1C. 
this is, I mean, again, this is just amazing. It's, it's fascinating to see this and, and to understand it. Um, a sexually reproduced human being begins to exist at the beginning of Carnegie stage 1A at first contact of the egg and the sperm. The empirical factual determination of the final genome is biologically set at the beginning of the process of fertilization at first contact. Once first contact takes place, there is substantial change that itself determines what comes next genetically and otherwise. So at first contact, you have an actual human being, not a possible human being. This is on the website for Contend Projects, and this is based on the scientific data from human embryologists. From the very beginning, it says Carnegie stage 1A, a human embryo produces specifically human enzymes and proteins. He or she forms specifically human tissues and organ systems and develops humanly continuously from the stage of a single cell human embryo onward. Unless prevented, a new human being, a human embryo, will continue to grow and biologically develop continuously until his or her death, just like a fetus, infant, toddler, child, teenager, and adult human being. I know I spent a lot of time on that, but I think it's really important to lay that groundwork for the first eight weeks because some people want to debate, well, that this is a human being at the point of viability, meaning when a baby can live outside the womb. The problem is, is that that, that's been determined by, I think, 23 weeks, according to some, and, you know, it depends on who you talk to on that. But the problem is, is that if you stop right there that that's very subjective first of all and it it doesn't make sense that a week prior to that 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 human being in that womb uh, is not considered viable we could go in a lot of different directions with that but the thing is is that if you have a week prior that 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 determines that you're not viable or that you don't have personhood or that you're not human versus a week later again that's very subjective and some people will argue that that's the point where we need to um, make decisions as far as abortion is concerned but if you hold to the fact life begins at conception then there's no line of where you need to make a decision on from there life begins at conception and that's what I firmly believe based on scripture and based on science because I have a scientific background but I am a Christian first and foremost Now, as we go through here, we're going to go a little faster now that we understand the first eight weeks in general of what's going on and laid the groundwork for this, which I think is a very strong support in favor of human life beginning at conception. As we um, as we see at the end of seven to eight weeks after conception, this is at the end of the embryonic phase. We see here that the embryo changes shape as the face forms. It begins to straighten out from its C shape. The small tail bud begins to go away. All the essential organs, including the basic parts of the brain and the heart, are now formed. So we see fingers on the hands. We see toes being formed. We see eyelids that cannot open yet. We see muscles beginning to form. We see early bones are forming. We see that the intestines are growing. Now, as we get to nine to 10 weeks, this is when we um, see that the embryo is now a fetus. So this is a new, the fetal development from nine weeks on, according to the, the website of Contend Projects and their human embryologist from nine weeks on, now we are dealing with a fetus, a human fetus, whether a male human fetus or a female human fetus, or if we're dealing with multiples like t- twins or triplets. But the growth becomes more most important now. And so we see that the ears are beginning to move up around the neck and beginning to go into their normal position on the head. Uh, fetal movements and heartbeat can be seen on the ultrasound. We see that the glands are beginning to work. We see kidneys beginning to produce urine. 
Um, we're seeing in uh, 11 to 12 weeks, we're seeing that blood cells are beginning to be made in the bone marrow, that the neck is now visible. And this baby weighs about 45 grams at this point. The sex of the fetus can also be seen at about 11 to 12 weeks after conception. And they are also, he or she is also swallowing fluid from the amniotic sac. This is how they're getting their nutrients. And again, that's coming um, through the placenta. The placenta there is the help provide circulation. By the way, another really cool thing to understand, the, the placenta that's in the uterus, the mother's circulation is intertwined in the placenta, but it is never, um, in, it is never joining up with the fetus's um, circulation. Those are kept separate. Again, God's design. It's pretty amazing. Uh, the fluid is replaced with urine made by the kidneys. The placenta is fully formed at this point at 11 to 12 weeks. As we go on to 13 to 14 weeks after conception, we see that um, the arms and legs are formed. They can move. They can bend. The sex organs are almost fully formed. Toenails and fingernail growth begins. The eyes move forward. And the face is well formed now. We have tooth buds that can appear. The eyelids close. At 15 to 16 weeks after conception, we can see that um, some women can begin to feel the first fetal movements. The growth begins to speed up. Legs grow longer and the fetal head seems less large. There's slow fetal eye movements that can be seen by ultrasound. The bones begin to calcify more. The ears stand out from the head. The, the skin is transparent. As we go on to uh, week 17 to 18 after conception, we'll see that there's hair, the lanugo that covers the fetal body for protection that is forming and it can be seen on ultrasound. And again, you'll, the, the pregnant mom will also begin to feel uh, fetal movement. The fetal skin um, is also covered by the vernix caseosa. And that looks like a cr like a cream cheese. And so this is another um, protective covering. Then this is about the halfway point of a normal pregnancy. At 19 to 20 weeks after conception, we see that blood vessels can be seen very clearly beneath the skin, that the eyebrows and eyelashes are starting to form. Fingerprints begin to form. Fingerprints are unique for every individual. <laughs> nothing is left out. God misses nothing, does he? At 21 to 22 weeks after conception, we see that, a fatal, that fetal weight is beginning to pick up, that there's rapid eye movements seen on ultrasound, that the lung growth reaches the point where some gas exchange sacs are formed. The heartbeat can be heard with a stethoscope at this point. At this time, it is also noted that there is a chance the fetus may live if delivered. So this goes back to the viability argument, trying to make a cutoff as far as allowing abortions. The problem is, is that there are abortions that are allowed even up until birth, regardless of what stage is, is horrific. It's absolutely horrific. At 23 to 24 weeks after conception, we see that um, the baby can actually be sucking on their fingers and toes. They, they start to store fat under their skin. They can blink. They can react to loud noises. And then at 25 to 26 weeks after conception, we see the lungs continue to grow and there's still weight gain that's taking place and the, the, there's still the form, um, and there's still formation such as the, the eyelashes are still forming. The fetal eyes are, are going to open slightly 27 to 28 weeks after conception. We see the fetal brain can now control body temperature and direct regular breathing. The fetus can weakly grasp at things, different growth rates from one fetus to another become clear the eyes are open, toenails begin to form, and blood cells are made in the bone marrow. At 29 to 30 weeks after conception, there's a continuation of fat building up under the skin. The skin is beginning to thicken. It's not as transparent as it was. 
and we're beginning to see um, the the lanugo is beginning to go away. The hair on the body is beginning to go away. You may feel hiccups. A pregnant mother may feel hiccups at this point, and um, the pupils of the eyes react to light. 31 to 32 weeks after conception, fat is still building up under the skin as as the baby is growing. The lungs keep growing and making more surfactant. Surfactant helps the lungs to remain open if the fetus is delivered at this point, if the baby is delivered at this point. And we um, are also seeing at this point muscle tone increasing. Again, there's other things that are going on. This is a general overview. Again, I want you to understand that there is other things going on far more complex. This is a general overview. There are complexities that we can't get into. I can't stress that enough of what is going on at a cellular level with all the organ systems being formed and such that are taking place. But I want you to understand that this is a human life that has the right to life because God has ordained this, this life. And so we need to um, understand, again, how human development works, have a basic understanding of it, to know what is going on and to be in awe of God's creation, to recognize he has created. 33 to 34 weeks after conception, the lungs and the nervous system are continuing to develop. There's more fat buildup under the skin and the baby is beginning to look chubby and hair on the head is beginning to look more normal. At this point, we also see that the testes and male babies start to move from the abdomen into the scrotum. The vaginal area in female babies begins to cover the clitoris. The fetus moves into a head down position to prepare for delivery at this point. Um, some, some of us have had stubborn children that did not want to move into the fetal, <laughs> I mean, to the head down position, um, or that wanted to do somersaults in your, in your belly, like they were on a trampoline and they didn't, they couldn't make up their minds. I'm not going to name names or anything. Some of our children decided they just didn't want to be head down. And so, um, you may be one of those, um, fortunate women that, that had, <laughs> had that take place. 35 to 36 weeks after conception and um, in a fetal lungs are mature at this point. So the fetus drops lower into the mother's pelvis. Uh, the mother may also notice increased pressure on the bladder. The hair is beginning to, the lanugo is almost gone except for around the shoulders and upper arms. And um, at 37 to 38 weeks, we see that this is a full-term pregnancy. At 37 to 38 weeks after conception is also 39 to 40 weeks after the last menstrual period. So a normal length for a pregnancy is 40 weeks. On average, a full-term baby weighs about seven and a half pounds. I got this from a, a website that talks about embryonic and fetal development. And the document was written um, with the assistance of a physician's review panel of the, and um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and some other departments of health that, help with, that helped put this together in another state. I think it was from South Carolina. But I wanted to just do a o- general overview of embryonic, of, of fetal development to help us again. It, it, we all want to get back to this place as Christians of understanding, of being in awe of God's creation. And secondly, we need to know why we believe what we believe, both biblically and on a scientific level. I think that on a scientific level, it is equally important for us to understand this. There's nothing wrong with appealing to to science in addition to the Bible, because science is agreeing with the Word. God created life. God has fashioned and formed, as we talked about in Psalm 139. He He knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And when we even see, we didn't even go into great detail about where the cells go when they're differentiating to form all the different organ systems in the body and that they're forming the skin layers. There, there's three different layers, the, the mesoderm and the ectoderm and the endoderm that are found in the embryonic stage. And they're doing different things based on the whether it's a mesoderm or the ectoderm or the endoderm. Each of those three different layers, for example, they do different things. They form different body systems in that human human being. This is intricate, divine, orchestrated design. There is no getting around this. This is not by chance. This is not um, some, again, this is not a clump of cells. This is not a parasite feeding on a host. And at the expense of that host, this is a beautiful picture that we can see of God creating human beings, creating people in his image. That does not mean that everybody's a child of God. It simply means that all of us as human beings have been created in the image of God. And this is something to take value in. And when we begin to devalue and dehumanize children, which should be protected, by the way, not terminated, not have their lives snuffed out, when, when we begin de- to dehumanize our children... And this can happen in different ways, not only in abortion, but when we begin essentially to dehumanize by denying their God-ordained identity from within the womb, then we begin to see the deterioration of society. And we begin to see people that are, that their hearts are growing cold, that they're hardened towards God, that they are rebellious against God. And this all this should take us back to the answer to this. Whatever happens with the Supreme Court, whether they overturn Raid, I hope they overturn, whether they overturn Roe, which I hope that they do overturn Roe. I hope that in spite of the harassment, of the bullying of, that's going on, I hope that in spite of some of these things, that the court will stick to what it's supposed to do, which they don't make law. They make rulings on court cases. I hope that they make the decision to overturn it. Now, I, I fully understand that it's not going to end abortion because it's going to go back to the states. And frankly, I don't know if it's going to lessen abortion, unfortunately. It's not going to eliminate it, and that's even more unfortunate. But what we need to understand as Christians is that even laws, and I've said this before, but even if you make a law, that nationwide, for example, if you if you made a, a law that n- there was a national law that abortion was no longer allowed in any of the 50 states, abortion's still going to happen because it's sin. We live in a fallen world where people are going to sin and rebel against God because that's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. It's wanting to do things your own way and you don't want to do what God says to do. It's sin. And laws don't change people's hearts. The gospel does that. God changes people's hearts through his gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, softening the hearts of men and women who are rebelling against a holy and just God. Jesus Christ came to atone for our sin, to reconcile us back to the Father, and to clothe us in righteousness that we cannot attain ourselves, that we cannot merit or earn. There's nothing we can do to earn his righteousness, to earn it, to be justified before God, to be saved. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God, the wrath that abides on us if when we stand in condemnation already when we have not received Christ. 
But there is such good news in the gospel, and that is the, the answer to every single issue that we see in this world. And so I want to encourage you to look at these things for yourself. Look at them biblically and scientifically when it comes to abortion. Educate yourself. Make sure that you know why you believe what you believe, and it's not just based on opinion or you that you're regurgitating what someone else has has just said and that you haven't even looked into it. But really think about why you believe what you believe and then be able and willing to talk to people. And again, we need to be leading people back to the gospel, back to Jesus Christ. If we're depending on the Supreme Court to make the turnaround in our world, that that's going to magically change things, we're not understanding the laws don't change human hearts that are rebelling against God, that are sinning against God, that are ending human life. Shedding innocent blood, for example, among the other things that go on in this world that are sinful against God. But God in his mercy and in his grace sent Christ to die on the cross and to atone for sin, to save from the wrath of God and to clothe in righteousness and to give the promise of eternal life. And so in love, we call people to repent, to turn from these wicked ways and to trust in Christ and to have salvation through him alone by grace through faith in in him alone. So I hope, as always, that you have found this helpful and insightful. I know it was a little bit different today, but I did want to talk about this, but I want to take a little bit different turn to it. Sorry for the rabbit trails. Uh, I hope that you find the links. I will share the links to some of the websites I shared for this information. I think that you'll find them very insightful and helpful. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.